0: Listener production. I used to work casually as a babysitter and nanny to make ends meet while at university. Most of the families were wonderful and some I became very close to. One weekend it was Halloween and one of the girls I was looking after was very excited to be invited to a Halloween party. She had been on the outs with her friends recently and this invitation seemed like a peace offering. And they had been very specific. It was definitely a costume party. So I took all the kids around to my place to look through my old dance outfits for a costume. We finally decided on an old can-can skirt and top, which, with a bit of zombie makeup and a feather in the hair, would make a great dead can-can dancer, she thought. So I dressed her up, put all the kids in the car, including the younger siblings I was taking trick-or-treating, and dropped her off at the girl's house who was hosting the party. I decided to watch from the car before driving off to make sure she arrived okay. I saw her walk to the door in her costume and the other girls answered the door except none of them were in costume. And I think I saw them laughing at her. She didn't even make it inside. She turned around and came running back towards the car, and I could see she was in tears. Once back in the car, she was sobbing, and it was clear that whatever rift was going on between the friends was not yet over, because they'd played a prank on her and told her, and her alone, to turn up to a regular party in costume. Teenage girls can be some of the most vicious, calculated and ruthlessly mean creatures on the planet, as I had learned when I was that age, so I sympathised with her. Trouble was, I had the two younger kids in the back seat, also upset at seeing their sister upset and not sure how I was going to resolve the situation. The eldest sister just desperately wanted to go home and the younger siblings were all dressed up and desperate to go trick-or-treating. I wasn't sure what to do and I just wanted to fix it. So against my better judgment, guessing that seeking revenge for the prank was the best solution, and remembering the ways my childhood best friend avenged her enemies on Halloween, I suggested we go and egg the party house. The mood in the car suddenly did a complete 180, as they all shouted in unison, Yeah! Egg the house! Thank God I had fixed it. So we drove to the servo and grabbed a carton of eggs. But it was still light outside, and I somehow convinced the kids that we needed to wait until dark to egg the house without getting in trouble. So we went trick-or-treating in the meantime. With each deposit of lollies into the kids' bags, I got more and more doubtful about whether or not this was a good idea. I mean, okay, the teenage girls were fighting, but I'm pretty sure the parents are friends. And the timing of it was too coincidental for them to think it wasn't us. Plus, it was vandalism. In an extremely wealthy suburb where people called the cops over something as trivial as someone sitting in a parked car wearing a hoodie. True story, it happened to my high school boyfriend. So by the time it had got dark, I had changed my mind. I told the kids it was too risky and we'd get busted and I'd probably never be asked to look after them again. There was a bit of whinging, but there had been lollies collected so they forgot about it soon enough. The carton of eggs remained in my bag which I dumped in the corner of my room once I was home from nannying and just forgot about it. That is, until my room started to smell really bad. About two weeks had gone past before I located the source. The carton of smashed and now very rotten eggs leaked all over my dirty clothes, in the bag and dried, creating a solid mass of rock-hard, rancid, eggy clothes. It was disgusting and took ages to clean up. I suppose that's karma for pushing children into vandalism. Fail! In this episode, I talked to Ben Fordham about court dates, crusades and contract clauses. I was going to just ask you, what do you feel like sharing the most embarrassing thing you've ever done?
1: I couldn't possibly. No, no, it's just. so.
0: Oh come on! It's so,
1: no, because it's also it's not family friendly either. I like I've had some embarrassing things. Like if you really thinking
0: this isn't family friendly
1: at no, all. No, I know, but if you really think about the most embarrassing things to you in life, I, this isn't the worst. But I'll, I'll tell you, as far as gut feeling and okay. just keeping in the keeping in the theme of I'm clearly focused on death at the moment because okay. this this also involves death. Okay. But I grew up with a girl called Sophie Smythe and Sophie Smythe, her father and two brothers had died in a plane crash flown by her father. We, I didn't know them, but growing up, we all knew Sophie Smythe's father and two brothers had died in a plane crash. One night, one, I didn't see her for years and I'm like, we're now I'm about 21, she comes over to my house, we had friends over, we end up laying out on the hammock after a few drinks. And I'm laying on the hammock with her, and we're catching up about old times. And for some reason, I asked a question that you probably ask someone when you're 21 and you're looking for conversation, and you're not thinking about who you're talking to. And I said, "If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be?"
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So we're staring up at the we're staring up at the stars. This is and this is a platonic catch up on the on the hammock. Out the back of mum and dad's. She pauses and then she goes, think about it. And I went, oh, 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 oh." (laughs) my God. I was like, oh, what do you say? You know, because I'd ask people that. You know, if you had the ultimate dinner party, who would the, you know, and And for some reason I threw in the dead or alive, any three people dead or alive, who would who would it be?
0: Mm. Ben Bloody Fordham. Hello. Hello.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That's all right. Good to have you.
1: All of a sudden I'm I'm thinking, oh, no. (laughs) We're here to talk about failure.
0: Yep.
1: Is it all about failure? Can we just sneak in a little bit of lightness and brightness in the middle of this or no? I try to. No, I try to. Keep it low. I know you have. No, I've been listening.
0: I think because it's, it's... tied up in success as well. You have to have that talk Mm, as well. So it's not going to all just be doom and gloom and embarrassment and shame.
1: I've got doom (laughs) and I've got gloom.
0: Inevitably, you've got to have a relationship with failure, right? So I just want to figure out what failure means to you.
1: Mm, What does failure mean? I tend not to think about it too much. I don't know. Maybe because I just, you know, I think that like I was asked to sign a clause in a contract that was essentially a failure clause. So it was a It was based on ratings and it was saying if you drop below, and I can't remember what the figure was, but just say it's 20% of where you currently are. If there's a 20% drop in ratings and that happens three surveys in a row, we've got the, we can exercise the right to terminate you. And I fought really hard against signing that, not because I don't back myself, but I was like, mate, why would I sign up to something that's a failure clause? And he's like, that's not what it is. I was like, yeah, it is. It's built around the whole concept of failure Why would I even engage in that concept when you're wanting me to win? So I found it really hard to, and in the end it was one of those things, you have times in your life and there are plenty of them where the boss just goes, I don't care, I'm the boss and that's that. So I ended up signing it. But I really, he was like, I don't know why you're, you know, you've never dropped, you've never dropped that far ever before. You've never even gone anywhere like that. So he was showing me, you've got nothing to worry about. And I was saying, well, if I've got nothing to worry about, why are you wanting me to sign it? And it was one of these things where they're saying it's a standard way that we lock ourselves in because it was a, a long contract, I think five years. So it was like, okay, we need a, a bit of an out in case you go pear-shaped. Oh, but geez. I don't know, I tend not to want to think about it too much because I worry that, you know, was it The Secret, that um, that show many years ago where it was all about the power, the laws of attraction and whatever. Oh, that's
0: all bullshit. I know
1: it is. <laughs> in fact, I did stories on A Current Affair about about The Secret as well, even though my mum and my sister were wildly into it. And I got into it by, um, uh, yeah, by exposing the only Aussie who appeared on The Secret, who was a guy here uh, in Australia who was really good at, really good at uh, making money, not very good at paying people. But yeah, I, I I do think I don't know. I'm not saying that that's all true, but I tend to operate on that basis of not thinking about things that I would wish not to happen.
0: Well, you don't want it to factor in this in your sort of journey forward. I understand yeah. that. And um, it, that's a lot of pressure to have hanging over you, you know.
1: I, I know this though. I know that nobody's failure, and I, and I'm not. I'm not. Um, this is not an original thought, but it's one that the more time I go on, the more I realise it. No failure is ever even a twenty, even twenty percent of as as bad as you think it is. And when, you, other, when friends go through major things where it's like everyone, they have something bad has happened to them career-wise or some other-wise, personal-wise, and a lot of people know about it, then you realise my big thing these days is I tend to say to people because you, you'd rather hear it at that time, is that nobody is going to care about this in a week from now. And it used to be a month. And now then it turned into like a week and then sometimes you can actually predict with people something will happen on a Wednesday and you can say, I guarantee nobody's going to be talking about this on Saturday. Yeah. And it's true. Yep, It's like, guess what? Something else happens and then everything else just kind of, oh yeah, that, you know, that thing.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, and you know, there are people out there, there's a story around today about, about Grant Denyer, and I saw it online yesterday and it was about. Um, his TV show got axed, right? And they were saying it caps off a terrible year for Grant Denyer, you know, because he's had a couple of TV shows axed and he's had a radio show axed. Grant Denyer, I don't know Grant Denyer well, but I've been on his radio show before, but he had this like stellar year where he kind of, he won the gold Logie and then he, and then he got all this, he was all of a sudden he was everywhere and he's doing all this stuff. And clearly the more jobs you get, the more you're going to lose. Particularly in this kind of business that we do, yes, it's like mate, you live for as long as a cicada on radio and and on TV. Everyone knows that, but it's like mate, he obviously got you got throwing heaps of jobs in a really short space of time on uh, on radio. So it's not like they dry up completely, but it's like you know, there's an element of that too that that the you're going to have more failure with more the success. M- the more
0: you do, absolutely, and the more
1: gigs you get, you know.
0: Um, speaking of success then, can you pinpoint a time that you felt the happiest and most fulfilled in your career?
1: Oh, I took my dad to the ACRAs, which are the radio awards. And I, and it was a bit of a struggle for him because he wasn't, wasn't flash health wise, but I convinced him to go. And it was a bit of a, uh, a mission for him, but we went to Brisbane. I won a major award at the end of the night. My dad was there with me. I'd never taken him to something like that before, but I just had this feeling of, um, you know, I think he should come. So uh, I, when I won the award, I said to I said to him, come up with me to accept it. And he said, no, 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 this is your night. But I'd said to Zach McLean, my producer who was on the table, who also won producer of the year that night, I said, mate, if I win, take dad out like to that spot where they do the photos because I thought I want a photo of myself and dad. So I won and then uh, I was out there with him, the trophy, the photos and those kind of things that I suppose – Considering he died about six weeks later, was probably a, from a career point of view, was probably hard to beat.
0: That's amazing.
1: Did I just get very deep on you all of a sudden?
0: That's what we want.
1: We just switch gears, you know. But to, to be honest, it was a, that was probably it to have to have dad there to see something like that.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, my next question was going to be, what's your biggest professional achievement? But that's sort of like two in one. Well, yeah, not, not really.
1: I like getting involved in things. Like I've I've loved getting involved in things. From we have things happen on our radio show that are completely random that are just based on people's mass generosity in terms of you know something'll happen and I and I it used to take me by surprise and then I had this young producer work for me called Dane Hudson and he pointed out to me one day he goes mate when something happens and if you run with it they run they run with you the listeners and I went what do you mean and he kind of explained it to me he was like you know more so with you than other shows I've worked on so he was saying when you put it out there to people to say, why don't we try and do this? He goes, you tend to, he goes, you get a response where people jump on board. So do more of that. And I was like, okay. So then someone will lose something of value. You know, someone will get robbed. Something terrible will happen to someone. And all of a sudden you go, I, like I had a guy walk up to me last year who walked up and went, look, my cousin's dying in Adelaide. She's like 21. We're a massive family. We can't afford to go, but we want to, oh, can you help me? So I was like, mate, sure. So we worked out how much it was going to be. It was about seven grand. And I said, I guarantee you, because by then having Dane given me that, you know, faith, I was like, mate, I guarantee you this money will be raised by the time we're off air. So it was our second last show of last year. And so I threw it out there and I think we raised about 14 grand. And so those things happen all the time. And you, you, you know, she ended up passing away, the girl in Adelaide, but they got to go and then go back to the funeral. And, you know, another dark story, but it's just like stuff will happen. And, and I suppose from an achievement point of view, as corny as it sounds, they're the things that give you that rush. You know, the rush for me, I'm a bit of a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And the rush for me on radio is when the board lights up and people go, we'll fix that or we'll do that. And, you know, I've had, there was a girl who, who contacted me a a few years ago, someone else contacted me and said, look, this friend of a friend has done a bucket list. What's, what is it with me and death at the moment in this podcast? Cause it's all about death, but this girl was dying and she did a bucket list. And one of them was that she wanted to read the news on radio. So I go, okay. So they said, can you do that one? Like number 23. And I said, yeah, sure. So I, I said, give me the whole list. So I get the list and then I sit my team down. I go, listen, I reckon we could knock over three quarters of these in two days. Like if everyone hits the phone. So we just started hitting the phones and just organizing everything getting her in the studio and um and she and, and and there were there was a guy who called in one of hers was to she said I want to camp out under the stars right or I want to sleep under the stars so this guy rings in and goes I took my wife on a 25th wedding anniversary thing to the middle east somewhere in the middle of the desert five star resort Ooh. full camel experience five star thing you know I'll pay for her and her husband to go on, you know, 30 grand business class. He goes, everything that we had, so we flew business class, everything that we had, they'll have. It worked out to be about 30 grand. He was a guy who put shower screens together for a living and he owns a shower screen business. And he was like, that was one out of, you know, a hundred different things that people called in with and wow. and did. So those things are probably the things that I, I sit back and go, wow, there are some, there are some generous people out there. And if you're not afraid to tap into it, um, as I've become more accustomed to to get to get doing. And I, I tend to think too, I, if I'm going to ask someone, that, the rule I set up was if I'm going to ask someone to donate to something, I donate to it first. So it's like if I throw in as well, then I feel like I can comfortably say to anyone who else wants to...
0: It's a good wants point. To help out. It's a good point. So, and look,
1: we're raising money this afternoon for Greta. Uh, <laughs> if you would like to donate right now, it's 1300 654 654. 1300 654 654. we need a reason.
0: We need a reason. Give
1: generously <laughs> because she is a failure and we want to help her. We can get her some help right now with a motivational coach. <laughs> That'd
0: be great. Life coach.
1: 1300 654 654.
0: I'd love that. going back to that phenomenon you were describing of you're at work, you work in radio, but you can also get behind these amazing courses and that's what gives you a rush. Mm. That's kind of like the perfect combo. That's like you're doing something fulfilling and helping people, but you're also doing something you love at the same time. Like I just find that amazing. Like what a spot to get to.
1: Yeah. Well, I've got to say a lot of the, the hard yakka on some of these things. If the last few years, we didn't do it this year, but the last few years, I've done some kind of project at the end of the year. Like there'll be someone who we meet that you think we want to do something for them. And so it usually involves me approaching, well, it does, one of my producers and saying, have you ever, so it was a great girl, Liz Daniels, who's now the um, political editor for Channel 9 in New South Wales, but Liz back then was my radio producer this time last year and I said, have you ever done a home renovation before? And she said, no. I said, have you ever, like, renovated, done landscaping in a backyard? She goes, no. I said, have you swept up a backyard before? She said, yes. I went, sweet. You're in charge of this project. And we basically were building a backyard for for um, a great couple who who lost their son. They're called Mark and Faye Levison, And their son, Matthew, was murdered about 25 years ago, 21 years ago. And they went on this mission to find his body. And they found his body eventually through a deal they did with the killer, right, just oh kind of God. say, give up the... And they're just the most beautiful people. I've got to know them over the years. My wife has as well. She covered the court case. And then they, when they found Matthew, he was buried below a palm tree. So they said, we're going to keep the palm. We're going to, can we keep the palm tree? They say to the guys when they found the body. And they said, okay. So they stuff it in the back of the car. And then um, they tried to plant it at home. And then I was talking to them one night and they were, I said, oh, and how did it go? Is it, has it kind of taken off, you know, this palm that they planted in the backyard? And they said, no, it's died. And I was like, that's not good. So then it turned into, I was trying to find someone who could rescue this tree. They went and looked at it and went, mate, it's dead. It's just the, the bottom of it, just the bulb. So then we thought of maybe if we made an entire backyard and made this bulb or whatever it was, kind of if it was kind of mulched up and it was part of a certain garden or whatever. So they built this garden. Well, I said to Liz Daniels, you're building the garden. So we went on air. Another thing, go on air and say, we need... So and you run through all the tradesmen, all the stuff we need, all the, everything you need donated down to water, beer for the, for the crew on the last day or whatever it might be and, and a lot of people came through in two days and, and did it. So I tend to throw those things on um, on a producer <laughs> and then I turn up on the day and I go, yes, this looks fantastic. So, but it's a bit of a life lesson for them as well. I had another guy, Zach, who, who had to um, make over. There was a show actually on SBS about, about Mount Druitt
0: Oh, Um, yep, yep. Struggle Street.
1: Struggle Street. So when that came on, there was a bit of backlash against it because it was described as poverty porn. So talk radio with MySpace was kind of, oh, it was, you know, because I think the mayor at the time came out and said, this is poverty porn and it's like entertainment based on people's poor circumstances. My view was I very much doubt it's going to be that. Mm-hmm based on where it was and who was making it. So I went the other way and it turns out it was, a, I thought, a really, really well-made show. And I think most most people, most fair-minded people thought the same, but there was a woman on that show who was like this shining light who ran this cottage called Grissidi's Cottage. And I was like, she was the the, the, the woman everyone went to when they were in the, in the shit. So we contacted her and I said, and I went there and just went, in an ideal world, if you could wave a magic wand around this whole place, what would you do? She didn't want to tell me anything because she was too proud. One of the other ladies said, I'll show you. Mm. Even down to this carpet's wet. It's been wet for three years because the pipe in the garage, you know, all these kind of things. So that was another one where I said to Zach and, and he just went in there and over the course of a weekend waved a magic wand and, and did it so,
0: but that's using your profile for good. You are the one that has to do the call to action and get everybody well, involved. Well, you've
1: got to balance out all my sins, Greta. Yeah. You know, all <laughs> yeah. my failures and all my sins. You've got to balance it out a little bit.
0: Do you feel comfortable sharing with me um, a low point or lowest point?
1: Many years ago, I was brought a story. I was working at a current affair, and I was brought a story about someone who came to me with a story saying someone else had tried to hire them to kill someone. So we ended up getting legal advice based on, on what had come to us, and we ended up setting ourselves on a path that then landed me in some trouble. But basically, this guy had got a recording of someone else trying to set up a, a hit on a male escort. So he came to us with the recording and said, listen, instead of playing ball with this guy, I'm coming to you. So we then set up a meeting with this other guy in a car with cameras, hidden cameras, And we had a conversation to get him on tape because the other one was just an audio recording and and the lawyers were saying, need him on tape, need to see his face, need to see him saying the words. So we had to go in the car based on getting him to outline once again, what he'd outlined in this previous conversation that he wanted done. So he does that. We take the audio and the video to police and give it to them. The man gets charged with conspiracy to murder. We get charged with conspiracy to pervert, pervert the course of justice and breaching the Listening Devices Act. So when when I think about major catastrophes in my life, the day that the producer I worked with on that story called me and said, hey, pal, we've got a bit of a problem. And I was at my mum and dad's place. So I was like, oh, how do you explain that? So, and they, and they, they delivered an ultimatum, which was you can submit yourself to come and meet with police to be charged, or they can come and arrest you. So... I had to explain to mum and dad. I said, listen, I've got a bit of a problem. That was an interesting uh, a couple of years of just kind of in and out of court. And, and then the other major fail through that whole thing is there was one day where the lawyers had said to me, I was now working in Canberra, they said, you don't need to be there for this part of the case. You know, there are some parts where people have to be there other days that the lawyers just kind of do lawyer talk. They said, you don't need to be there this certain day. But the judge, Elizabeth Fullerton, singled me out in the court that day and said, where is Mr. Fordham? And then she ripped into me for not being there in court, which you can imagine how happy I was with the the lawyers at Channel 9 who'd said to me, you don't need to be there. So uh, yeah, that wasn't a good day. And I would say even the day, the day that um, I started getting messages from people saying, mate, you're getting hammered for not being in court and feeling helpless at going, I'm in Canberra. I can't even go, I'll jump in the car and race in there. I'm sitting in Parliament House Canberra feeling very uh, away from everyone. That was probably close to it. But I've had lots of, I have lots of little ones, but I tend to brush over them. If I'm to be perfectly honest, I tend not to, not to dwell on them. And, And the great thing about working in a radio environment is that everything is so, we do three hours of radio every afternoon and you know, whatever you've stuffed up at, 3:20, um something good will happen at 4 15 and you kind of move on from that mm. zach who i mentioned before my executive producer who's been with me a number of years zach confessed to me a little while ago over some drinks he goes oh mate i goes, i know how to handle ben when you've stuffed something up and i said oh really how do you handle me and he goes i go into the studio and i overplay the stuff up so he it pretends that the stuff up he's just done is 10 times he goes mate I've made a terrible mistake, and I'm really sorry. He walks in, I go, "What is it?" And then he tells me what it is, and I go,
0: "That's not. That I mean, that's bad. not that bad."
1: And I, <laughs> and I was like, "You do do that. You do that all the time." But it's like, but it's a really smart, you know. And I've now used that on the boss a couple of times, and I'm like, "Need to confess something here." In fact, I I was called into a room a little while ago, and I was a bit confused because my boss has called me in, and I thought to myself, "What have I? What could I have done here? Maybe that." I know about that they don't know about, and I'd just been—I'd been away for the weekend with my wife before our last baby was born, and we stayed on this really weird floating house. Right, so it's a floating house. We stayed on that, and they gave me a little—they gave us a little boat, you know, a little dinghy to go around in. And I needed to know how fast it went, so I took it on a bit of an adventure. And the guy had said to me, "Wear the life jacket and only drive a certain speed." So he told me I knew. But I just had to go and test it out. So I test it out and the water rats turn up, so the water <gasps> police. So they, the, this guy pulls me over. I'm in the middle of in the water. I get pulled over. My details are taken and I'm just sitting there going, you. And it's not a major crime, clearly. But he said there was something coming in the post. And so the idiot in me is going, is it about the, the speeding boat? <laughs> and I get down there and they go, we well, guess you know why we, uh, we're catching up. And it was about something completely different. And then I was like, okay, all right. I kind of misread that one.
0: You didn't go in there and go, it's not the speeding boat, is it? If this is
1: about the speeding boat, What? (laughs) I completely admit to it.
0: You're like Uh, like the bad boy of Australian media, Ben. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
1: terrible crime. If only you knew, Greta. If only you knew.
0: (laughs) Is there any lessons that you've learnt from your mistakes? This is really fun, by the way. I'm going to get Mm. distracted. um,
1: Any lessons? Any
0: lessons that you've learnt from mistakes, from your brushes with the law?
1: Oh, well, look, it doesn't necessarily fit into me learning a lesson from that, but I, I do like the um, I do like the Kerry Packer idea that you're better off seeking forgiveness than asking for permission. Yes. And I think as we were talking before, you're much better off. rather than going and asking for someone's permission, you're better off doing it and then dealing with the consequences because half the time there are no consequences. That's right. So that's certainly a life lesson. And look, I would just encourage people just to just to love each other, hug each other, and be nice to one another. That's good. Mm, that's that's kinda, good. And you be kind to each other is how John Laws uh, finishes his show every day. So that would be my ad- advice: wasn't be it, kind to each other.
0: Wasn't that Doctor Phil? No, Doctor
1: Phil. Maybe yeah. I As like well? Doctor Phil. Oh. I like Doctor Phil. You know, I've now mentioned the secret and Doctor Phil, and now you're thinking <laughs> he's one of them. But you know, I do a bit of Doctor Phil.
0: Okay, good. In well, my you- own neighbourhood. Well, you've done it on this podcast as well, I have to say. I'm here to help. (laughs) I'm here to help. Thanks, Ben.
1: And uh, good luck with raising all that money and we'll just put it towards your development.
0: Failure fund. (laughs) Personal development, bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.